When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Top 10, where we explore some of the most influential films from different movie genres. I'm Vicky Sayers, and I'm joined by film critic and broadcaster James Cameron Wilson. OK, so now we're talking about the musical, James, and where are we starting with this one? Well, if we can go back to the distant past, 1935, Top Hat, directed by Mark Sandrick. One critic said this is the only perfect film ever made. There is no way of improving this film. Okay. Now, does Top Hat mean anything to you, Vicky? Literally the name, and that's it. See, I feel terrible because I, I go around saying I love musicals, I love musicals, but then you go back and go back a little bit in time to the right. dawn of you time, are you might so say. incredibly young. I'm basically a fetus. Um, but yeah, Top Hat, I know the name, and that's all if I can I give you. If I told you it was written by Irving Berlin. Nope. No, Sounds like you've just great put two. <laughs> songwriters of the early part of the 20th century. Do you know what? I would probably recognise songs from it, but that's, I mean... Well, I can't sing. Well, let's... But one of the most famous songs, um, White Tails, Black Hat, it was Fred Astaire's signature song. I can't remember okay. all, the, all the song titles, but Isn't This a Lovely Day is one of the most romantic songs in which... Ginger Rogers yep. and Fred Astaire, they made ten films together. Yes. Fred and Ginger. Power duo. This was their fourth. Okay. And it was the first film specifically written for them. And there's this wonderful sequence. They're in a bandstand. It's pouring with rain. Mm-hmm. It preempted singing in the rain. Yes, and they are singing in the rain. Yes. Isn't this a lovely day? And it is such an enchanting film. And I hate to keep on bringing my daughter into this because... <laughs> I, I mentioned her in the, the horror program we yeah. did together. But it was my birthday, and she said, what do you want for your birthday? And I said, I don't want you to spend any of your precious pocket money. I just want you to sit down and watch an ancient black and white film. Right. And she thought that was probably quite a good deal, because yeah. it's not very long. It's only about one hour, 35 minutes. Yep. And she sat down, and she... I don't remember her laughing so much. It is so funny. Really? And Fred and Ginger had these group of actors, Edward Everett Horton, Eric Bloor, Eric Rhodes, who they were almost like a repertory company. And if you look at old films, the supporting cast are really important. Okay. They have their moment in the sunshine as well. But it is effortlessly romantic. Fred Astaire, the master of mastery of Fred Astaire was that he made it look effortless. Mm -hmm. And Ginger Rogers, of course, she had to dance like Fred Astaire, except she had to do it in high heels. Yeah. And sometimes backwards. Yep. (laughs) Which is even harder. (laughs) And they made this wonderful, sunny partnership. And they had this rapport. But it is just pure escapist Mm -hmm. bliss with these wonderful tunes by the great... Irving Berlin. You should seek it out, Vicky. Okay. It does laugh. It has laughed. I've seen a lot of old films recently to prepare for this series. Yep. A lot of them don't hold up very well. Mm. Top Hat does. Right. Put a star next to that one then. That's Pure on my Nirvana. List. On my list. And what's the next one? And the next one, we're jumping forward 
couple of decades to yep. 1952, mm-hmm. which again I've seen recently, which I can only describe as a sheer blast of joy. Yes. Singing in Rain, directed by Gene Kelly and Stanley Donan, with Gene Kelly himself, Debbie Reynolds, mm-hmm. and the wonderful Donald O'Connor. This is a film set during the early days of the talkies, and Gene Hagen plays this woman with the voice from hell. Yes, this is all ringing a bell. I have seen yes, this one. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Yeah. But there are these wonderful sequences. Everybody will remember or have seen a moment where Gene Kelly is literally singing in the rain because mm-hmm. he's just his heart is bursting with happiness and yeah. love, and it is beautifully choreographed by Gene Kelly. But there are other wonderful sequences, uh, like Make Them Laugh with Donald O'Connor, and the three of them singing together. And it, when there's not sing-alongs, there is the wonderful scene where Gene Hagen they're trying to adjust the microphone, mm-hmm. ideally, and that keep on hiding it sort of in plant next to her and in her dress and everything. It is a very funny film and it is, it's a film you just can see over and over yeah. again and you'll never get tired of it. And that is just one of the songs that you, I mean, even if you haven't seen it or even ever heard of the original musical, Singing in the Rain, is just something that I think everyone must have heard. Especially, it, it just kind of goes through the generations because there was that, there was an advert which um, they kind of did a spoof of the dancing along the lamppost scene. Mm-hmm. I think it was for a car or something. I, the, yeah. the actual advert itself was slightly creepy because they had uh, superimposed the original actor's head onto a new person's body. Okay. But the fact that it is still, you know, in the collective psyche, it's still there. And then um, dare I bring in Britain's Got Talent. But there was one person a couple of years ago who um, he basically got to the final by continuously dancing to the, that song. Um, and then at the end, in the final, you know, they had the rain coming down on the actual stage. So it's just wow. something that it, it rings through the generations. But that's basically as much as I know about singing in the rain. I can be more impressive on the next one. OK, well, I, I have to <laughs> mention, because we're talking about the whole era of MGM yeah. and the classic musicals. And there are so many of them. And there's a wonderful film, if you want to catch up with all of them. Mm-hmm. One of my all-time favourite viewing experiences and that is a film called That's Entertainment with an exclamation mark where it's all about the MGM heyday and everybody from Judy Garland to Eleanor Powell Dick Powell Mm -hmm. the whole lot Clark Gable uh, singing their hearts out and for the uninformed like me what's MGM? Metro Goldwyn Mayer, one of the oh, leading distributors of films in the golden era of it's Hollywood. Disappointed look you're giving me right now. <laughs> and that you, it's the it's the logo. The opening logo is of the lion roaring. Oh yeah. He represents MGM, and they were most famous for producing these musicals. Mm-hmm. Anyway, right. we can now jump forward nine years to a whole different era when the musical came of age, mm-hmm. became sophisticated, became adult, but became just, angsty. Yes. So what are we talking about, Vicky? <laughs> We're talking about West Side Story. Yes. And I know about this one. Um, and basically, it's Romeo and Juliet, is it not? But it is. in musical form. It is a reworking of Romeo and Juliet. So there you go. In New York. But they bring in race again, don't they? They do. Rather than it just being warring neighbours. It's Indeed. It's Hispanic. Hispanic versus Latino. Yes. like white America. Indeed. Uh, music, I should point out, by Leonard Bernstein. I know that name. This got 10 Oscar nominations. Wow. How many did it win? Uh, It won 10. Really? 11 Oscar nominations, 10 wins. Oh, that's incredible. Including Best Picture. Mm -hmm. And amazingly, they are remaking it as we speak. I didn't know that. They are, with Ansel Elgort as Tony. Yeah, he's all right. 
He'll <laughs> do. Can he sing? On a cold well, night. I guess we'll see, won't we? If he can sing or not. But what? Is, I mean, don't get me well, started. Well, it's interesting you should say that mm. because musicals are suddenly coming back. Yeah. And you've got people like Johnny Depp, although he was part of a band, he's not a great singer. But the two films we've talked about, mm-hmm. Top Hat and Singing in the Rain, starred two great male dancers. But mm-hmm. I wouldn't say their voices. What, if they came yeah. on now, Britain's Got Talent. Yeah. <laughs> God, no. I've started it now, haven't I? Let's well, go. you have. <laughs> Would they be up there? I don't know. That is very true. They weren't true. great singers. They could mm. hang a tune. Yeah. But were they great singers? No. They couldn't belt not. them out. No. That's anyway, a very good point. West Side Story. I, I think one of the big, for me, movements for West Side Story was the introduction of the lyricist, okay. a young man called Stephen Sondheim. Mm-hmm. And when he's working with the music of Leonard Bernstein and he's given a song, for instance, Maria, mm-hmm. how brave for a young lyricist to write Maria, yeah. Maria, Maria, Maria. I wish I could sing it. Yeah. But George, is it George Shakiris just sings it over and over again. And I think when you're in love and when you're young, you can't say your new lover's name enough. Yeah. And I thought he captured that. And of course, he went on to make the best musicals of all time. Okay. Stephen Sondheim is to the Broadway musical what William Shakespeare was to the drama. Can we have a list of some of the other ones that he's done? A Little Night Music, mm-hmm. Sunday in the Park with George, mm-hmm. Into the Woods, yep. Assassins, Passion, Sweeney Todd, The Demon Barber of Fleet Street. Which is coming up soon. Gypsy. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. It basically a load. <laughs> a load. And what's the wonderful thing about Stephen Sondheim is every time he approaches a new musical, he tries to throw out the songbook, the rule book, mm-hmm. and reinvent the musical. Mm. I actually just watched uh, Into the Woods again the other day. Which version? Uh, the latest one, I'm afraid. So uncultured. Throw me the out. The Robert Marshall version with Meryl Streep. Yes. And Johnny Depp again. Yes, exactly. The wolf, who, where he kind of just growls his way yeah. through, doesn't he? But basically, yeah, just the fact that you're saying how it's not how you would expect a musical to be and the music is very, I would say, it's different to what you would expect. Because the first time I watched it, I was a bit like, do I like this? Then I watched it again and I decided I did. Anyway. It's interesting you should say <laughs> that because while we're talking about Stephen Sondheim, yes. I went to see Sweeney Todd on Broadway with Angela Lansbury. Oh, Angela. And I was impressed enough to go and see it again in the West End mm-hmm. where the role of Mrs. Lovett was played by Sheila Hancock. And I actually enjoyed it more in the West End. I then took my daughter to see it at the Trafalgar Studios many years later yeah. and really, really enjoyed it. So I then like went to more, see the yeah. film. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing about Stephen Sondheim, unlike somebody like Andrew Lloyd Webber, is that there are these hidden melodies within the songs. And the more you hear them, the more it comes out. Yeah. But I also love Andrew Lloyd Webber, so let's not Do you? talk him down. No, we won't. I, I think we can talk about Andrew Lloyd Webber. Phantom of the Opera is the love of my life. With your friend Gerard Butler. Yes, but also the stage version. Yes. Okay, well, we better yes. move on. Okay, My Fair Lady. This might be my all-time favourite musical. Okay. It is so sophisticated. Of course, it's based on the wonderful play Pygmalion by George Bernard Shaw. Mm-hmm. Made in 1964, three years after West Side Story, directed by the great George Cukor, mm-hmm. with a fantastic score by Alan J. Lerner and Frederick Lowe, starring the wonderful Audrey <coughs> Hepburn. Of course, it was done originally on stage with Julie Andrews. Yes, I always keep thinking that it's her. That Audrey Hepburn yeah. did it because she couldn't sing. 
And in fact, it's not her voice. Oh, no. That's a... That's... No. I'm sorry. I don't Narnia like that. Nixon. If you're going to do a musical, you have to have someone who can do... They can do all the singing and dancing and whatever themselves. I don't like this... Oh, they've got the right face, but they can't sing for Toffee. Not But she fan. did sing. She did... Audrey Hepburn did sing. But... In Breakfast at Tiffany's. Oh, she right. did sing in Funny Girl, but she was dubbed in My Fair Lady because it was too big not the right. a musical. Okay, well... But Rex Harrison got away with it because he talked through the songs. <laughs> Why can't the English teach their children how to speak? I don't know. Being one of the great songs from it. <laughs> oh, right, okay. I was going to go on because I actually kind of agree with that statement. But anyway, moving swiftly on. Oh, that's a wonderful song. But something that Julie Andrews was in is, of course, The Sound of Music. A year later. Yeah, yep. we are suddenly going into a classic period before the musical crashes out completely. Oh. Uh, 1965, it became the third highest grossing film of all time. That is inflation adjusted. Right. So I'm not talking about highest grossing. At the time, it was a box office sensation. Wonderful Rodgers and Hammerstein score. Quite a long film. It was quite a serious Mm. film as well. And nobody can sing like Julie Andrews. Really, I mean, she can really hold a tune. Mm -hmm. She was amazing. And I think it's the best thing Christopher Plummer has ever done. He's been rather sort of snooty about it in interviews. Oh, really? Because he felt it was a bit sentimental, but... (laughs) Isn't that really a musical's job half the time? Surely. It is, really. Yeah. Which is why I've gone on and I've sort of brought in other films right. that are less sentimental than The Sound of Music. But I think the sign of a really good film is when you start watching it on television, you can't turn the television yeah. off. And whenever The Sound of Music is on, that's it. Yeah. I'm just going to sit there until it plays out. And I mean, what that's one wonderful of the, tune. It's one of the ones I can't believe I haven't seen because I, I know Sorry, about it. Yeah, say? I haven't seen it. You haven't seen the I've seen bits, but why haven't I seen I don't know. Blame my parents. And you're a musical fan. Well, I feel like it's one of those things where there are certain things you grow up watching, and I don't know how, but this was missed off my, my parents' list. I've never seen it on the TV. It just hasn't ever been on. Like, if it was on now, I'd probably be like, oh, let's, let's watch that. But no, it just uh, somehow missed it completely, straight over my head. I have seen Mary Poppins, if that helps, because Julie Andrews is in that. Um, Sound of Music, I think, is a slightly more important film. Well, and that's why it's in your list, James. It is, it is indeed. <laughs> but I do need to watch that terrible, terrible event. Well, I try to balance the, the classic with my own feelings. I can a- feel your feelings coming through strongly <laughs> on this one. And, 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 of course, spanning the century. Mm. And we will end the yes. 60s with a film that is so moving and is so clever called Oh, What a Lovely War, directed by Richard Attenborough. It was his first film as a director, Ooh. the actor Richard Attenborough. Father Christmas. He got all his... Yes, <laughs> Miracle on 34th Street. <laughs> he got all his old chums, yep. people like Laurence Olivier and John Mills and Sir Kenneth Moore mm-hmm. and Sir John Clements, et al., my, Sir Michael Redgrave, Sir Rafe Richardson, Dame Maggie Smith and Vanessa Redgrave. Oh, my gosh. And it was a... Musical that was originally performed at Stratford East, German Littlewoods Company in the East End of London, and then transferred. It didn't really make it on Broadway. It was an anti-war film set during the First World War, and he used all these old songs, these recruitment songs, and a lot of your (coughs) grandparents' generation, and indeed my grandparents, grew up knowing these songs. Mm. And it's a very jolly film, and you realise it's about the awful squandering of human life on the front lines and it sort of it plays against your feelings really which is why it is so poignant yeah and it ends with a staggering shot of these graves in belgium and france Mm. an endless endless shot and it just shows you why yeah never again so what are they basing it off the like advertisements of the time that were kind of like trying to make it sound like it was fun well there's this wonderful recruitment song 
by Maggie Smith mm. in the film. I didn't know we she could sing. We don't want to lose you, but we know you have to go. Oh. And it is a recruitment song, mm. and it is so jolly. And looking at it now yeah. in historical perspective, it is absolutely numbing. Mm. People were trying to do their bit for king and country. Mm-hmm. Back then it was a king. Uh, and it is a haunting film. It is beautifully made. And of all people, dear old Dickie, met him many times when he was alive. Can't believe that he also directed my film in the next on the list, okay. 1985, which I think for me, it wasn't critically revered. It's called A Chorus Line, music by Marvin Hamlish, lyrics by Edward Cleveland. Mm-hmm. But for me, it was the perfect backstage musical, except it was a more of a rehearsal musical, yeah. starring Michael Douglas as the director. Mm. And this is one of those films, again, that I can't stop watching. And the films are fantastic. And because I come from a theatrical family myself, my father was an actor, my mother was an actress, my brother was an actor, my daughter is an actress. <laughs> I know that whole process mm. of the rehearsal. And nobody is quite right. They're always plagued with self-doubt. Yeah. But it's the, he, Richard Attenborough, when he made this film, he served the soundtrack. He served the songs. And that is what's really important about A Chorus Line. Mm-hmm. But basically... When you cut it right down to the bare essentials, it is just a chorus line. Yeah, they're all just standing in a line, aren't they? But Yes. The whole time. But each character has their song. And as they're whittled down to the first night and the rousing finale, mm. just it, I'm getting my, the hairs on the back of my neck are standing <laughs> just thinking about it. But those great songs by Marvin Hamlet mm. is what carries this through. Well, I haven't actually, I haven't seen the film of this, but I have seen it in the theatre... It was a university production of it, so. But I do, oh, re- I do remember. It, I hope I remember it correctly. It was quite a brave thing that they are pretty much just standing yes. still the mm-hmm. whole time, and everything comes through. They kind of step forward one mm-hmm. at a time. If I, yeah, and I just that's the bit that really stays with me is that you, you know, with the usual musical, you're expecting loads of leaping, and uh, you know, all the sets are changing, and yes. and uh, just kind of more to see. But the fact that it's just it is very simple, mm-hmm. I think, is quite daring. It is. It was yeah. very daring, and I think Admiral served that. And it was so different from Oh, What a Lovely War. But they were both musicals. But when you think of Richard Attenborough, the many things he did... Spared no expense. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea he directed this kind of thing. Well, I'm no, learning. he's not known for that. No. He's known as an actor, as a producer, yeah. as a chairman, um, working for Channel 4 and all sorts of... Mm. Talk about spinning plates. Mm, absolutely. But he directed, I think, two of the finest musicals. That's incredible. Ever. So the next one, I have no idea. Good. Dancer in the Dark. That's making me think of Bruce, a Bruce Springsteen song, Dancing actually, in the Dark. It's actually Bjork. She's the star of this film. Oh, really? Yes. And this is a really special film and a really unusual film by because an Bjork's extraordinary Scandinavian it. director, Danish director, called Lars von Trier. I recognise that name. Yeah. But I don't know if it's for a good reason. <laughs> he, he was a part of the dogma movement of making films without any accessorisation right. whatsoever. Just getting down to the the actors, bare essentials. the bare essentials, improvisation. Okay. And what he did with this, he got Bjork, and I know she she had a nervous breakdown after making this film. Oh no! Because he really wants human spontaneity and authenticity in his performance, and he really put her through the ringer. But what's clever about this film? It is a devastating film. It's a film that will stay with you forever, and. It had such an extraordinary effect on me. Mm. Uh, well, again, talking about my daughter, who was a huge fan of Lars von Trier. Yeah. She's seen practically everything he's ever done. 
That's a lot by the looks of it. I'm and I said, try now. Dancer in the Dark. I'd be really interested to know what you think of this. Because mm. it, I didn't tell her anything about it at all. She didn't even know who Bjork was. Oh. And it devastated her like it devastated me. But what's clever about it is that he uses the machinery of the factory where she works as the orchestra that produces the songs, the background music. And it's a very unusual soundtrack. But it is a fantastic film. I think it's Lars von Trier's best film he's ever made. I think Bjork is sensational. Also, Catherine Deneuve is in it, and a number of Lars von Trier's repertory company. But it is such an extraordinary story of a woman who's losing her sight. And it plays on the oral as well. Okay. And on a dark note as well, mm. we go back to Stephen Sondheim with Sweeney Todd, the demon barber of Fleet Street. And thus returns Johnny Depp. <laughs> but, yes, indeed, who is not a great singer. No. But um, Helena Bonham Carter as Mrs. The dream Lovett. team. They're always it, together, it, aren't they? But what a cast. Alan Rickman as Judge Turpin. R.I.P., my favourite. Timothy Spall. Mm-hmm. Sasha Baron Cohen. Forgot completely that he was in that. But he can't sing either. If, if yes, Les Miserables is anything to go yes, by, can. well, he was terrible in Les Miserables. Don't even get me started on Les Miserables, the film. He was terrible in what? Les Miserables. He ah, was um, Tenardier. With Helena Bonham Carter. Yeah, sure, she's yes. fine, whatever. She's in everything. But no, no, not okay. Sasha Baron Cohen. Anyway. He, he plays the barber, the, the, the rival barber. Oh, okay, I was going to say, I'm pretty sure Johnny Depp... But I don't know if we've got time for a clip, but well, there's this wonderful song from it called A Little Priest, which really shows the wit that Stephen Sondheim brings to his material. Well, let's have a quick listen to that now. These are desperate times, Mrs. Lovey. Desperate measures are called for. Here we are, hot out of the oven. What is that? It's priest. Have a little priest. Is it really good? Sir, it's too good, at least. Then again, they don't commit sins of the flesh. So it's pretty fresh. Awful lot of fat. Only where it's sat. Haven't you got poet or something like that? Now you see the trouble with poet is how do you know it's deceased? Try the priest. They're talking about the ingredients of the pies. And they start mm. with a little priest, at least. <laughs> You've got to start singing it now. <laughs> yes. Okay, yeah, no, that is great. That's going to be in my head, that. I think. What, I've got to stop you from singing. <laughs> we're nearly towards the end. We're going to get through this. Yes, we're okay, right. so we're moving on to La La Land. Right, we have to mention La La Land because... Yes, must we? <laughs> <laughs> Very briefly, I shall mention Paint Your Wagon, Camelot, Dr. Little, Man of La Mancha. Are you speaking all these in tongues? Big budget musicals <laughs> okay. in the late 60s which killed the big Hollywood musical. Right. They were box office catastrophes. And the musical was pretty much dead. It revived briefly in 2003 with Chicago, which won six Academy Awards, mm -hmm. including Best Picture. Mm -hmm. But that was considered a fluke. Right. And then in 2016, along comes La La Land with Emma Stone Who and I love. Ryan Gosling. Who I love. With what a barnstorming opening. Yes, that was good. Damon Chazelle, terrific director who started with Whiplash. And it was a... On again, off again, love, love story. Very poignant. You've obviously seen this, judging yes. by the look on your face. Yes, I have. I just remember being very disappointed with it because it was so... I think this is the problem with things that are so... They have critical acclaim and everybody loves it. But then when you actually watch it, you're expecting something mind-blowing. And then actually, oh, well, it 
wasn't really what you expected. In my case, it was the ending that got me. I'm not going to talk about it because I know we don't want to ruin anything. But I was just, I just felt like it was just all a big um, build up for nothing, really. I might have missed the point, but the people I was with weren't impressed either. So maybe that had an influence on it too. I will admit that there is not a film critic I know who has not loved La La Land. And yet most people I know, normal people, mm. haven't engaged with it. I, I find saw that's it again quite recently. And I thought, yes, it's wonderful. Okay. Emma Stone, is so, she makes it for me. <laughs> yes. And it is a beautifully directed film mm. as well. I mean, I think she's great and Ryan Gosling is great. And together they're a great team as well because they've been in other things together. But for some reason, this missed a beat for me. Um, I also found that, the, that it was like the mixing wasn't right. The mi- like all the songs sounded very quiet and almost muted to me. Like they've been kind of excessively normalised. surround sound in my living room. Well, I did have the television <laughs> on as well. Uh, but I don't know. Maybe I, I'm giving it a disservice. But I have me, to end on a positive note. Okay. Because... After the death of the musical, and then we had Chicago, and we had a few aberrations, like, well, before the death of the musical, we had to mention a film called Oliver. Yes. Which <laughs> won six Oscars, including Best Picture. Mm-hmm. But 2018, suddenly, audiences flocked back to the cinema, and five of the top ten highest-grossing films of 2018 were musicals. Yeah. And who saw this coming? The Greatest Showman, which mm. got terrible reviews... Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again, Bohemian Rhapsody, A Star Is Born, Mary Poppins Returns. Suddenly, audiences were flocking back to the music. Mm. And I am so looking forward to December when we have Andrew Lloyd Webber's Cats, yeah, based on Old Possum's book of practical cats with mm-hmm. Idris Elba, yep. Judy Dench, yep. Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift, Ian McKellen, <laughs> Jennifer Hudson, yeah, James Corden. What an amazing cast. Mm-hmm. And I didn't like it on stage. Mm. But then often the musicals I didn't like on stage seemed to make sense more on the big screen, like Les Miserables, Phantom of the Opera. I you think. think Les Miserables was better as a film? It didn't work for me, but on screen it did. Well, I think there's a, we're going to have to reserve a whole other episode for the, the sins of the Les Miserables movie. Okay. I'm not going to go into it now. Your face speaks volumes. If only the listeners could see. (laughs) Thank you so much, James. That's it for this episode of the Top 10. Join us next time for more.